It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Kyle Krabs here, host of Locked On NFL Scouting. Join Joe Marino and me every day as we provide position-by-position analysis of the upcoming NFL Draft. Check out the Locked On NFL Scouting podcast with the Draft Dudes on YouTube or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. This is the Locked On Bengals podcast on a Tuesday. I am James Erpine. It is great to be with you. On Twitter, at James Erpine, at Locked On Bengals. Subscribe, iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app, and wherever you get your podcast. If you missed yesterday's podcast, a post-game edition of the Locked On Bengals podcast, I recapped uh, the Bengals' 31-21 loss to the Panthers. You heard... From Dave Lapham, you heard from Dan Horde, you heard from A.J. Green on his injury in the locker room and so much more, so go check that out. But we do this every single week with Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. It's our weekly Bengals film review. Make sure you check out Joe's work for The Athletic and follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry, and he is on with us now. Joe, uh, a lot to dive into. Thanks for coming on, as always. A lot to dive into in this game, and we're going to get the A.J. Green and John Ross and Tyler Boyd success and the good and bad but the thing that that stood out most to me and the biggest reason why I think the Bengals are 2 and 1 right now and not 3 and 0 is because the Carolina Panthers that run pass option offense with Christian McCaffrey obviously leading the charge and Cam Newton leading the charge it kept the Bengals off balance all day and the absence of Vontez Perfect was so noticeable on Sunday uh, versus the, the first two games of the year. I think I think it was such a huge loss. And then also not having Preston Brown out there. I know he's not the greatest linebacker in the world. I think he certainly could have helped on Sunday. Well, especially mentally. And I think that's the biggest issue with uh, missing guys like Preston Brown and Vontaze Perfect. I guess they, and I don't want to call it a read option offense, it is in a lot of ways. They do a lot of that. But a lot of what the Panthers do is going to test you mentally, and it's going to test gap integrity and guys playing their position and doing what they're supposed to do on defense. And they failed plenty of times, numerous times. Uh, there was a lot of big runs, a lot of just solid five, six, seven-yard runs that didn't have to happen that way. And it's, you know, that's the part of playing Cam Newton. And, and you know, you add Christian McCaffrey in the top ten, and, and that, that's a great combo for them. If they play like that, I'm talking about the Panthers, if they play physical football like that, running power football out of a spread offense, it is extremely hard to defend. Uh, they're going to go a long way with that if it, if it continues. So it was a bad matchup for the Bengals, especially without having those two linebackers. And as the defensive line got wore down, they lose Ryan Glasgow, Andrew Billings is, is missed some time during the game. Um, Josh Tupau's out there really for the first time, and he's only had you know a handful of snaps in his career. Uh, so they're you know, guys were getting exposed in the middle. And then as the Bengals tried to generate a pass rush and that third defensive end comes in at defensive tackle, uh, he's getting mowed over in the run game. So there was a lot to be desired mentally, and I think they got gassed again as the Bengals' offense went through a stretch where they were going three and out or at turning over the ball early in drives. And um, we saw how the, the effect they had when the Bengals were down really quickly. I mean, it went 14-7 and then 21-7 at one point. Uh, you could see how the – the other team can just dictate the game at that point. The Bengals' defense, we talked about this week one in the Colts uh, game. It wasn't until the Bengals' offense really came to life and, and, and got back in the game and took the lead that the defense was able to do what they wanted to do. In this game, the Bengals' defense never had that opportunity. 
And Joe, as far as is dictating things, it did feel like that the, the Panthers' game plan, they were the aggressor. They were the ones dominating the line of scrimmage. I've had a lot of folks come to me and mention the defensive line in general and how disappointing they were, disappointed they were with the defensive line. How much was it the defensive line, and how much was it Hardy Nickerson, who I saw miss some tackles? Nick Vigil, who even though he led the team with 12 tackles, you look at him at the box score, you're like, oh, Nick Vigil must have been all over the field. Eh, not really. I, I saw some missed tackles there from him. How much of this rushing attack is on the linebackers and allowing 230 yards versus the, the defensive line when you watch the film? It's always a combination, especially when you lose so much and give up that 230 yards and, and lose so often, I should say, um, because there were times it was the defensive tackles or the defensive ends not containing the edge. But a lot of times it was the linebackers or safety. It is. Sean Williams had some issues, too, coming up to fill the hole. Uh, but Nick Vigil, <clears throat> he's had some moments, right, and especially over the last, you know, um, from last year starting until he got hurt. And then this year I thought maybe he may have turned the corner. I thought he had, had a good week one. But he still is who he is. He does not perform well uh, in power situations or situations where he has to take on that lead blocker or get off a block or really hold his ground when the run's coming right at him. Um he much preferred chase and tackle and, and wrap guys up from behind or from the side and, and, you know, play defense that way. And that's fine. That's usually how the weak side linebacker goes, but he is the Sam in a lot of situations. And that guy's got to hold the point of attack or set the edge a lot. And uh, he, he's not so great there. And, the, you know, the angles to the ball sometimes for Vigil really hurt him and allow him to be in position to miss tackles instead of being in safe positions to, make you know, secure the runner. For Hardy Nickerson, it was interesting because this week they actually didn't put him in a nickel package, or at least not all of them. They they went with Jordan Evans instead. So Nickerson was basically out there. I want to say it was like 40 run defense plays and 12 passing plays. Uh, so he wasn't out there in coverage as much. I thought I, I agreed with that based on what I saw from the first two weeks. Um, so, but there's still he's an average athlete, not a big guy, not overly strong. He's just kind of going to do his job mentally. Uh, more often than not, and I think there were situations where he's in the right area, but he couldn't make the play because he's limited athletically and physically. Um, and then Jordan Evans, the other linebacker, uh, I feel like he struggles probably mentally more than the other two guys, but yet he's physical downhill and faster than all them, and he makes up for it more often. I just think the linebacker unit right now, um, starting those three guys, and you don't have Preston Brown or Vontaze Perfect, who are probably your two most intelligent of the of your of your unit. Um, it's missing something, and it's lacking, obviously. But, you know, they got one more week to go until they get perfect back. I feel like Preston Brown's probably close to come back. Uh, maybe even there was talk that he could have pushed it this week. I think, again, you know, what has changed over the last two or three years where we're talking about these linebackers just aren't good enough. Yeah, they're not good enough, and they desperately need Vontez perfect back. They won't have him this week against Atlanta. I'll ask you about the Falcons coming up in a bit. But let's get to... Uh, really, the the play that I think defined uh, in a lot of people's eyes the game and the day for the Bengals, and, and it was John Ross, and it was the it was second and twenty inside the ten yard line. Andy Dalton looking for him deep downfield. Ross stopped on the play. Clearly, wasn't aware that the ball was coming to him. Um, I I said this yesterday on the podcast. I'll say it again. I wasn't a fan of the throw. I don't like the ball placement. At the same time, if you're John Ross, you can't stop and you can't not know where the ball is. Um, so I think it's it's two wrongs here on both ends, 
And uh, obviously Ross uh, looks worse because he stopped on the play. But uh, your thoughts when you went back and watched the film on that final play that kind of sealed the deal for the Bengals in, in their first defeat of the season. Right. They're down by seven. Uh, they still have a chance to get back in the game. Uh, there's no A.J. Green, obviously, so that, that changes things a little bit. But let's go to first down, right? And there's a play-action pass. Who believes the Bengals were running the ball there? And uh, the right end for the, for the Panthers screams off the edge because he's not even looking at the run. He's not even considering it at all. The Bengals are passing. And he, he rips off the line, and they're asking basically Tyler Croft to get across the formation and get a hand on him. It doesn't happen. Dalton stacked instantly, loss of 10. So let's start there with a bad play call to set you up in a situation that's, that's even worse. You're backed up in your own end. Dalton throws the second down ball from about one or two yards in the end zone. Um, and here's the thing about that play and a lot of the discussion about John Ross and giving up on some plays, John Ross not fit. I, I think it should be more John Ross not finishing plays because um, – I went back and looked because that was the fifth time the Bengals have run that play this season. And every single time, they threw it to the guy running the corner route. You Basically, this is a scissors combination, and it's Tyler Boyd and John Ross. Ross is running the post, and Boyd is running to the corner. And it, you have different options based on if it's cover two look or a, a cover one, cover three, single high safety look. And um, every single time, they're throwing it to Boyd on that corner route or even green one time uh, earlier in the season. But the point is, this isn't a new play. This is a play that Ross has probably run in practice 100 times. This is a play that, that the Bengals run all the time, and it always goes to the corner route. Um, the Panthers were on it, and I think what Dalton sees is there's a clear opening for, for Ross on this post because the safety jumps down. On, on the right side of the line, or on the right side of the formation here, you got Josh Malone running a, an in route versus two deep safeties. That safety jumps, um, the safety on the right jumps Malone's in route. So there's a huge void now if Ross continues his post route over the middle of the field and to the right, if the ball is laid out in front of him, he can probably go get it. It doesn't matter because Ross, number one, didn't finish the play because I think he assumed it's not coming to him. And number two, because Dalton did not put it in that location at all. Uh, in fact, it was nowhere near where it was supposed to be. I, I, as much blame as on Ross should be on Andy Dalton on this play, in my opinion, because um, he trusted Ross to know. You know, in football, you kind of have to have that symbiotic relationship. Your, your mind's got to be synced together as, oh, this is a little different this time. Or maybe they even talked about it on the sideline. Hey, we're going to come back to this play because they ran this play earlier in the game and went to Floyd and it was incomplete because the Panthers jumped on it completely. So maybe they said, hey, next time I'm going to hit you, John, over the middle. And, um, you know, maybe that happened. But if he did and if that was the agreement, the ball placement was still in a bad spot. So when Ross looks up for it, it's nowhere near him. In fact, it's going more towards the, uh, the boundary, more towards the numbers as Ross is running to the, into the hash marks. Uh, he sees it late, can't get over there in time, and it's a bad interception, and it looks ugly. What, what, did, th- what do you say to those who say, it's sorry to cut you off, but what, what do you say to those who say, well, who knows if John Ross ran the right route? If Ross runs the right route, this ball is, instead of it being five to eight yards um, off, it's 15 yards off. He's running the right route. He's running a post. He's, I, like I said, I've watched it five different plays. I even went back to, because I save a lot of plays, 
you know, there's a lot of good writers and, and analysts out there. And I, and I save plays sometimes, but I think, oh, the Bengals run that. And here's like the Eagles writer, Fran Duffy and, and, and Greg Purcell broke down this play from 2016, where it's Carson Wentz and one of his first starts against the Browns. And the, and the Eagles run the same exact play. And I had that saved. And I was like, you know what? I think I remember that. I went through my files, found it. And I'm like, okay, here's the Eagles running this play two years ago. And that guy's running a post. I go to all the Bengals plays every time they've run this play. And John Ross is running that post. It is a post route. So I don't know what Dalton saw if they're saying, well, he should have adjusted and, been, and Ross should have ran, ran up the seam. That was, that's never been the play. They've never done that. Even other teams aren't doing that. So I think Ross ran the correct route. Um, had he have finished it and kept blazing down the middle of the field, it would have looked even worse. Um, so there was a complete miscommunication there between the two, two, and that's the biggest issue in my opinion. In my opinion, I don't think Dalton trusts John Ross on every single play because there are other plays where Ross gets open, and I don't think Dalton fully believes he's going to be in the right spot at the right time, and that's valid. I just hate that this play is used as that example for Ross that he's lazy or he doesn't finish plays or he doesn't know what he's doing, while some of that may be true, how about the vertical ball where, where, um, where Ross beats his guy and he's open and the ball lands, it looks like from the TV copy, I can't tell in his vicinity that he probably should have made that catch. I think we'd expect A.J. Green to make that deep ball grab. Um, I'd like to see it a little closer. Hopefully in the coach's film it can show us a, a little bit better. But use that play as an example. That's the seven points that would have made the difference in the game, not this play right here where where we have at least some doubt that Andy Dalton made a bad throw on this play. Andy Dalton made a good throw on that vertical route, and Ross didn't come down with it. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic joining us on the Locked on Bengals podcast. Here's my concern with John Ross, and obviously I've pounded the table and doubled down and tripled down and uh, went all in on on the idea that John Ross could be a a difference maker for the Bengals and in this offense. And and I still think that that could be the case, but here's the thing. Uh, One of Tyler Boyd's... um, main qualities i'll point out one play and i, I know you remember it um 11 days ago against the ravens and he throws it. that is the exact same play is it is that, it the that is the play i'm talking about except they threw it to boyd and boyd knocked it down so this is even a greater example than you oh, even intended okay so th- but but that's the point is is boyd what did he do he was like oh crap bad ball no chance at getting it i was aware the ball was coming and batted it away Yep. The, the the biggest problem and the reason I think Ross deserves criticism is the fact that he didn't even know where the ball was. The ball comes out and he doesn't react to it in time, and, and it's just it just looks so he looks so confused, uh, and he wasn't expecting the ball at all. Like he's got one, he can't give up on the route. Two, if he sees that the ball is in the air and it's nowhere near him, we'll run to it and try to knock it away because an interception ends the game. So I get the criticism there. I also think it was a bad throw. I think they can go hand in hand. It doesn't have to be one or the other. Um, but overall, yeah, I, I just you can't give up on the play, and that's that's my issue with it. Is look, I get it. You're fast, and you're going to add uh, speed and uh, add the deep threat and this dimension to the offense. All that stuff, love it. I love the idea of it. I think he had a big catch in the red zone that set up CJ Uzama. I love that too. But if he's going to be the guy, I think he is. He can't just give up on plays like that and, and just allow the defender to, to intercept the ball that decides the game. And that's why I don't think he ever, ever saw the ball, not at least until it, was, it was, so, until it was too late, when you see him break it off eventually and go. Um, you go to the – and when the coach's film comes out, I'll have a better example of this. When they ran that play, that, that exact play, when they ran it earlier, I want to say it was 
the second quarter. Um, when they ran it, Ross cut off his route again on that play earlier in the game. He just he stopped once he got in front of the safety. He just kind of like jogged and actually started turning back towards um, the sideline. And it's funny because I didn't notice that live, but when I went back to watch all these plays that they run of that of that um, concept, I said, "Wow, he did it there." And at this point, I'm thinking he thinks the ball doesn't come to me on this play, and I'm not giving him an excuse because. I, I, you know, we well, talked about this, I think, in other years where why aren't the Bengals better in scramble drills or when things break down? Why isn't Andy Dalton better outside of the box when, when the play doesn't go as intended? And I think it's the structure of the offense at times that they know where the ball is going based on pre-snap, post-snap read. And if everyone reads it correctly, you know who's going to it. You're, as you're the receiver, you're running your route. You're like, oh, it's not coming to me. It's going to Boyd. It's going to Green, whoever it's going to. You know where it's going based on the coverage. And I think if Ross is reading it correctly, which I'm not even completely sure he is because he's had other issues leading up to this point where he's not reading um, coverages correctly, if he is, he's thinking on both those plays, up oh, it's going to Boyd, and he kind of jogs the play through. And that's, that happens. That is normal. Um, but it's not what you want. You want the guy to go 100 miles an hour, full speed. I think I'm getting the ball every single play because – I need to make a play. I need to show that I'm worth that ninth overall pick. I need to, you know, help this offense. AJ Green's out, and I got to make a play. That's what we want. But I think, you know, the criticism for him on this play is largely things that have stemmed up to this play, and this was just the cherry on top. He's Joe Goodberry of the Athletic. Final thing on Ross, because a lot of, and I know you've probably gotten it. I know both of us did uh, to a certain degree. We were copied on some of the tweets. A lot of fans like, hey, get rid of him. Cut him. Move on from him. Put Auden Tate in. Put Josh Malone in. Put one of these other guys in and give them a chance. That, that sounds great. Um, two things. One, I don't think Josh Malone has shown me anything um, really since the first couple of weeks of training camp practice that warrants significant playing time, and that includes yesterday, what we saw or uh, on Sunday. And two... John Ross has played a total of six NFL games. Six total. That isn't anywhere near. It feels much longer. Heck, I was surprised when I looked it up today. Six games. He's doubled his games this year already and has had 15 targets, caught five five of them, uh, or or had 13 targets, excuse me, caught as five receptions for 27 yards. But the the Auden Tate thing, one last point, and then I'll, I'll just get your observations on this. Auden Tate had three receptions in the preseason. John Ross had three receptions on Sunday. Like this idea that Auden Tate would be the significant upgrade and he just catches everything thrown to him and all this stuff. No, not not necessarily. And I don't think Malone or any of these other guys can do what Ross can. That being said, Ross needs to get in sync and figure it out with Andy Dalton. But to me, this idea that they need to give up on him or bench him it would be would be insane. Part of that is we all believe that this receiving core was better than it might be. And about a month ago when they had Brandon LaFell in, and maybe it was a little more than a month, right? maybe six weeks, but still, uh, at that point we thought, man, this is a very deep unit. How are they going to keep six guys, let alone seven? They only had eight probably rosterable receivers at that point. Um, and we, we really liked them, and we thought highly of maybe the potential of John Ross. We didn't know Tyler Boyd. Well, at the time, maybe we we believe it into the camp uh, hype, but Tyler Boyd has been spectacular so far. But it's the guys behind them. When Malone even played last year, I think Malone has had more career snaps than John Ross at this point. And I would say, who has shown more? And I'm not even sure if there's a good answer. But when people say, well, at least play Malone, 
you know, I'm not sure he's better than Ross at this point. I'm not sure he offers more than Ross at this point. And then you say, well, what about Erickson? He got that extension, right? And I just think they're two different players. I think Erickson is more of a slot guy, and that's basically who's backing up Boyd. Uh, I think they value him. But I think at the same time, when you watch the past two years, and it was Boyd and LaFell uh, and really A.J. Green as the other receiver, and they, they were missing Tyler Eifert. But there were so many plays, and James, we talked about it almost every single week, that the, the defenses are unconcerned with that other receiver beating them over the top. There's nothing defenses try to game plan against more, I believe, than a speed receiver that could kill them on one play. And as soon as Ross is in the game, we have seen it through three weeks. Defenses are treating them differently. How do we know? Because Boyd is seeing more space than ever before. Did Boyd just become faster? Did he just become more agile? Maybe he's a little bit better route runner. But he is operating with so much space around him that he makes these plays all consistently now, and he's a consistent weapon and target for the Bengals. Uh, and a lot of them, he's just open. And, and then A.J. Green, yeah, they're moving him around a lot more, but he is dealing with a lot more space now than he was the last couple years. And a lot of it, and I showed it on, uh, on last week's article for The Athletic, because I talked about how, how they're moving A.J. Green around, but I also talked about the impact Ross is having on the offense that is more than just production. And on one of the first plays of the game, I think it was the boy, 23 yards, Ross is running a vertical route, and he takes the safety and corner with him, and Boyd's wide open over the middle. And it's because they have to respect his speed. We watched the last two years when it was Boyd and Tate doing that, running those same exact routes in the same offense, basically, and that safety is not following LaFell. Why? Because he's not scared you're going to throw it or beat him deep. And so that coverage becomes tighter on Green. It becomes tighter on, on, on Boyd. And if you want to just throw Auden Tate in there, which I do want to see Auden Tate play. I think you do too, James. But Tate's not going to burn, burn it upfield and make that safety come with him. They're going to say, you know what, you're going to throw that 50-50 ball to Tate because we'll take a 50-50 chance. Defenses will say that. Throw that. We don't care. We're going to make sure you're not going to let Boyd run free wide open over the middle instead, and that safety is going to come down and jump on him uh, or at least get a big hit on him after he catches it. So he's had an impact. I would like him to be more productive. I would like his head to be better in the game. I would like the whole team to trust him more often. Just the comments after the game, you can tell that, you know, all the stuff we heard about Ross struggling last year mentally and, and being a pro and all that, and then how he had to change it, you know, and his confidence was up. And then as he started having drops in, in camp and preseason and then leading into the season, more mistakes, you can feel like his confidence is starting to flip again and go back to where it was and go back in the tank. And you can see it from the comments from the other, other players on the team. I don't want that stuff to happen because it, it'll affect how he plays and, it, and his impact on the team and on the offense is big. We've seen it the past couple of years without that speed guy. We need him to be mentally into it. And I'd like if they designed some more stuff to get the ball into Ross's hands. Because let's face it, he's going to be a part of this offense. I don't think they're cutting him. I don't think they're benching him anytime soon. They may give other guys plays and snaps. But I do think Ross is a, a, a valued member of the offense because they need what he offers. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. And up next, we're going to discuss Tyler Boyd's play, Andy Dalton's play, and so much more. But first... A word from my bookie. You've heard me talk about my bookie a lot if you've listened to this podcast in the past, and I would only recommend a service to you that's been good to me. That's why I'm urging you to make your way to my bookie. You win, they pay. They've been in the business for years. They have great reviews online, and their mobile site is so easy to use. It's what I use. They have in-game betting, live betting, over-unders on fantasy points, and so much more. By the way, the Steelers plus one. 
I like Pittsburgh tonight. I think they turn things around. They get their first W of the year in Tampa Bay. My bookie is slammed with new betters. They want to give you the best service possible. If you're willing to deposit after 7 o'clock Eastern time, again, 7 p.m. Eastern time, they're going to give you an additional $25 free play on deposits over $100. Join now, and my bookie's going to match your deposit dollar for dollar. So if you deposit over 100 bucks, you get you can get that additional $25 of free play plus what they're going to match your initial deposit dollar for dollar. All you got to do use promo code locked on 25. Again, locked on 25 is the promo code to use. Visit my bookie online today. That's M Y B O O K I E and don't forget to use the promo code locked on 25 when creating your account to claim up to $1000 in free play. You play, you win, you get paid with my bookie. If you're looking for the most comprehensive NFL draft coverage this offseason, look no further than the Locked On NFL Scouting Podcast. Join the draft dudes, Kyle Krabs and Joe Marino, as they go position by position through the NFL free agent class and into the star-studded crop of college stars who will be selected in the 2024 NFL Draft. If you want to know who your favorite NFL team should be adding to its roster, you need to check out Locked On NFL Scouting. Available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Joe, it's crazy. Tyler Boyd, uh, a year and nine days ago, was a healthy scratch against the Houston Texans in Week 2. A healthy scratch 
after a very productive rookie season. He bounces back, and it's just it's a great start to a year that I kind of thought could potentially happen. You mentioned how John Ross has had an impact, but what have you seen from Tyler Boyd, a guy who in his last five games has 25 receptions, uh, three touchdowns, and 379 receiving yards? What have you seen? Because to me, I call him Andy Dalton's safety net, and people, I think, are starting to get tired of me saying that, but I'm going to continue to say it because I think Tyler Boyd is now Andy Dalton's safety net. You know that meme where it shows the guy's head and he's got a little flicker of light and then a bigger flicker, bigger flicker, and then it's galaxy brain at the end? Yep. Um, Tyler Boyd hit galaxy brain at some point in the second half of the year last year. And as a slot receiver, it's extremely important. You still, remember when Muhammad Sanu was the slot guy, and they talked about how he used to play quarterback at Rutgers and in high school, and it helped him know coverages and know how to adjust his routes, when to sit down, when to keep going, um, you know where the open hole was or where the where the where the void in the zone was. Uh, and you need that from your slot guy. What made T.J. Hushmanzada so good? He was mentally so in sync with Carson Palmer that they would consistently 10 targets, 12 targets, because you can send that blitz or the guys would be going deep around him. TJ, uh, uh, I'm sorry, uh, um, Chris Henry and, and Chad Johnson, and TJ would, would hook underneath and in the open zone and, and it'd be an easy completion. I think with Boyd, the first two years, and like you said, he, I think it's such a great example to use Boyd and Ross together. Now, while Agreed. Boyd had a good rookie season, um, it wasn't anything special. I think there were times of frustration even with him in his rookie year. Uh, but they didn't need him the way they need Ross, you know, last year or, and so on. But anyways, so when Boyd came back as a sophomore, we all expected him to maybe take that next step, and he struggled. And I remember pointing it out um, versus the Browns, I want to say. I can't remember what. That was early in the first month. But after him being a healthy scratch, and we kind of wondered, what's going on with Boyd? And then we saw some plays and some routes and some run-blocking plays where he didn't look like he knew what he was doing, whether that was he didn't know who to block, he didn't care to block them, or um, some option routes or, or hot routes where Andy Dalton didn't look like he trusted him to throw that ball. And it got Andy Dalton sacked a few times because he, he's looking at Boyd like, I don't think you're breaking it off, and he's hit because, you know, the line was terrible. So he went through his, his bumps of not really – you know, being focused and 100% there. And then when he came back after injury, uh, it seemed like it clicked for him. And it seemed like Dalton trusted him again. And it happened very fast. And all of a sudden, Boyd was a go-to guy late last year. And then it transferred completely into this year. And it's not because, like I said, he physically he's the same guy he was. But now he's running his routes so much crisper. He's adjusting them, breaking them off a little bit better. He knows what he's supposed to do. He knows his role in this offense. And because the other guys around him have been so effective, it opens it up for him. And the stat I saw before the game was Andy Dalton is targeting um, Tyler Boyd as, as much as any receiver in the league and quarterback combo. He's going to Boyd when he's getting pressured. And, I, and as soon as I saw that set, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. I can think of a few plays in both games already. And then what happened <clears throat> for, for Dalton's best touchdown, the Boyd versus the Panthers, was he rolled out to his left after getting pressured. Boyd breaks off his route, crosses the safety's face, and honestly, that was a fantastic play by Andy Dalton and Tyler Boyd to break it off. But just those two plays there, that combination between them two, is really keeping this offense afloat because Green has been very good, but at the same time somewhat inconsistent um, with drops and, and, and 
feeling secure that he's going to hold on to the ball. He's had a couple fumbles and one almost against the Ravens. Uh, almost dropped the pass, I felt like, early in the uh, Panthers game. And then whatever happened on the sideline on that second and seven, right? Uh, mm-hmm. And so, you know, Boyd has really stepped up into that role, and I couldn't be any happier with his play. Yeah, he's been great. He's been great. He's been exactly what I thought he was going to be last year. <laughs> right. Andy Dalton's go-to guy when he gets it into a tough spot. And speaking of Andy Dalton, overall, the the numbers, and I saw some headlines, Andy Dalton throws four picks and loss. I'd, I wasn't a fan of three of the throws. I, I'll, let's just count the last throw because it was just a, a heave into the end zone. Yeah. But, but three, uh, the first three interceptions – I don't like the the first throw to Ross. I, I thought he was covered up. I don't think that, that Ross really had a chance at that one. Forcing it to Josh Malone just doesn't make sense to me. And then the last throw I didn't like. But overall, even with all that, I thought Andy played relatively well. What did you like? What did you not like about uh, Andy Dalton on, on Sunday? Yeah, and it was the turnovers because there was a couple. Um, you know, it, it – it's funny because when the we talked about this last year around this time, right? Week three was the Packers game, I want to say, and uh, they came out and really hot against the Packers and, and scored, I want to say, fourteen points in the first quarter. So far this year, the Bengals their scripted plays are highly effective, and we talked about this last year. The Bengals had a problem post script when the script ran dry or they're running some of the same plays again. Defenses were on them, and it requires Dalton to make some hard or difficult throws and. He's never been that guy. He'll do it once in a while, but he's never been that type of quarterback. Um, and I think that played true again versus the Panthers, where they look good those first two drives. That first drive was fantastic. And he's just, you know, when everyone's on and they got weapons on top of weapons and the plays all work, he is a point guard just giving it to his guys and letting them work. And that's when Dalton is at his best. Um, I think as the game wore on and they get in situations where uh, it's third and long and I think a lot of these interceptions happen after negative plays, especially the two to Ross. As he tries to force it to Ross on a comeback route, Jackson's all over him. In fact, it's a comeback route basically at the sticks, and I want to say it was, it was a distance throw. Um, I can't remember exactly what it was, but Jackson is completely on him. And, you know, Dalton trusts his guy to make a play, but the ball ends up being high and away, which is towards the corner rather than if it was maybe low and inside, maybe Ross can, can get a chance on it. Ross can barely get a hand on fighting for that ball. Um, and it's an interception. The next one is to Josh Malone, and it's a play the Bengals have run a bunch of times this year where you have an RPO, it's a run to the left, but you've got double slants on the right. And what was weird about this one is Malone runs an in route. You can run double slants or double ends. That's a very common concept, um, and you normally go to that outside guy, uh, especially in zone coverage. But it looked like this might have been man. So when Dalton comes out and looks at that to those two plays, I thought Boyd is the more um, – more option versus man coverage, but he goes to Malone, and what's weird about it is Boyd in the inside runs a slant, Malone, Malone runs an in. And like I said, normally it's double slant or double ins. So someone there looked like it was it was off a little bit, and you have to assume it might have been Malone getting uh, you know his first heavy action of the year, and he runs a bad route. He leans inside, the corner starts jumping before Malone's even breaking off. Uh, Malone barely gets his hands up, ball bounces straight into the air. I just think on that one. Again, there's Dalton trusting a young receiver to make the play, and he can't do it. And you know, and then we talked already extensively about the third interception. But overall, I you can win with that Andy Dalton if everyone else steps up and makes a lot of plays for you, and the defense 
obviously did not do that. You can't go negative three on the turnover differential. They just didn't get their hands on the ball the way they did the first two games and didn't make that play in a one-score game the way they did those in mean, those first two weeks. So, um, you know, we look at this performance and say four turnovers, really, it was, it was three interceptions, like you said. Uh, I think you could win with that, Dalton. I just don't think that's the type of Dalton that's going to win it for you. Joe, we're up against it here, but just some quick observations that I think some fans have had, also that I've had, that I want to run by you. Uh, the first one is this. The first one is this uh, red zone offense and just what it has brought this year. I mean, the Bengals converting eighty-seven and a half percent of the time, scoring touchdowns. What, what have you seen from this red zone offense this year that's different from past seasons? You know, what I'm excited about that is because when I was down there in Cincinnati and we talked and we did our videos those two days. Um, each day I think we talked about the red zone and yep. because they were doing a lot of fun stuff that they've never really done before. And, and, and basically it's, it's creating mismatches or manufacturing touches for their best guys in the red zone. And that can be just misdirection, have, have green coming across the back of, of the end zone, um, running a high-low concept with your two receivers on the same side. Whatever it is, they're running, they're doing everything. Honestly, normally you see an offense or at least – the average offense have a go-to handful of plays when they get to the red zone or, or, or concepts when they get down there. And that's how the Bengals have been. But right now, it looks like they have everything, and they're using everything that like the Eagles did last year and things that you see the Patriots do a lot and that the, 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 um, the Saints do a lot. And I'm like, when I watch it, I go, yes, that's, this is, that's Bill Lazor's biggest impact so far. It looks like he is a good First two drives scripted, but he has a very good red zone package, too. And I think that's going to get you a lot of points most weeks in the league. You don't want to settle for field goals, right? And especially with Randy Bullock, even though he got an extension, um, he missed the 53-yarder. But I'd rather not trust Randy Bullock. I'd rather try and get the ball to A.J. Green, Tyler Reifert, John Ross, Tyler Boyd. You know, you have enough weapons. You need to maximize them. And I think Bill Lazor is definitely doing that. And then just let's flip it here because it seems like – Defenses are attacking Dre Kirkpatrick. I mean, it was very apparent to me. Yeah. I think it was apparent to everyone else. When you went back and watched the film, is that the case? Our defense is like, okay, Torrey Smith, oh, you're on Dre or Dre's on you? We're going to Torrey here. Oh, Devin Funches, you, you got you got Dre on you? All right, we're going. Is it is it really that black and white when it comes to defenses or offenses attacking uh, the Bengals' defense and Dre Kirkpatrick? 100%. And I think this is another, another thing we talked about, I think, leading up to after – after William Jackson had that type of year he had last year, um, offenses are not going to mess with him. They're, and they, they're, he's given up two touchdowns, you know, based on statistics. But I think Jackson's been perfectly fine. Uh, but you can tell the offenses are like, listen, they've got three first-round corners uh, out there around them in the back in the backfield for them. We are going to attack William Jackson. Why would we do that when Drake Patrick gives you gives you the opportunity to, to surrender a deep ball? Um, when he's in off coverage, you can usually hit him with a, you know, showing that you're going deep, cut it back on a comeback route, hitch route, which we saw a bunch of at the sticks where just Kirkpatrick can't click and close and transition fast enough because he's a, he's a long leggy guy. Um, so I, that's why I never liked him in off coverage that much. Uh, and then the deep balls, you know, you can potentially get a flag. You know, he's not going to track it very well, or he's not going to come down with it. And to his credit, he's gotten his hands on like six balls already this year and hasn't come down with any of them. I can take his level of variance in play where he's going to be targeted a lot and he's going to give up some plays and some bad plays. But if he catches half of those balls, I think we all feel pretty good about the way he's playing because you can have a guy like that that's not perfect, but he's going to capitalize on his opportunities. Him not doing that is why we're looking at it like, 
something has to change there. You cannot allow them to continually just attack Kirkpatrick. And the Bengals like to play a cover two. They like to keep their safeties deep. They may have to bring Kirkpatrick up, and he's going to be your press guy, and you put a safety over top. Because currently right now, you have, you have an offense in three weeks that are saying, we're just going to target Kirkpatrick. I think he's been targeted over 30 times. So we're talking he's going to be 10 times a game at the end of the year, 160 times at the end of the year. It might even be more. That's, that's insane. And um, you want to start funneling some of that open coverage towards Denard and William Jackson. He's Joe Goodberry of The Athletic. Follow him on Twitter at Joe Goodberry. Last thing for you, Joe. Um, what, what did you see from the Bengals' offensive line? I think it was very obvious to me uh, that in the second half, things – I don't know if the, if the Panthers ramped up pressure, if it was A.J. Green going down so they had an extra guy to play with, but they were getting to Andy Dalton more in the second half than they were in the first. And it's because they were down. Just the way we talked about the defense couldn't dictate to the opposing teams when the Bengals were down to the Colts and to the Panthers, mm-hmm. it worked the opposite way. The Bengals were down, and they started pass rushing, and it was their worst game. You know, without A.J. Green out there, coverage has got tighter. And, um, you know, when that happens – the line has to be even better. We've talked plenty of times of what does Andy Dalton need more? Does he need weapons or does he need a really good offensive line? While most people agree, why not both? I think at the same time, if your weapons are getting open, your offensive line can have mistakes. And we've seen that through the first two weeks where they weren't perfect, but the guys were so open so often that Andy was getting rid of the ball quickly. I think in this game, when Green went down, the coverage got tighter and it looked like the offensive line was under a magnifying glass at that point because you're like, man, they're consistently getting beat from Cordy Glenn to Trey Hopkins to Alex Redman again and Bobby Hart again. So I think we're sitting here with the same issues of you can't trust the O-line, and if the weapons aren't winning, it becomes a scary, scary offense. AJ. In a bad way, I was going to say. Just, yeah. Just a... yeah, yeah, I know exactly what you meant. Uh, A.J. Green obviously goes down. Joe Mixon. I'll break the news right now. Joe Mixon's not playing this week, even though Jason Lockenfora left the door open. He's not going to play Breaking this week. Breaking news! Yeah, I know. I You saw that report, though. There was no chance of that. And I, I, I was polite yesterday. I'm not going to be polite today. He's not playing this week. So if Joe Mixon's not out there and A.J. Green's not out there, uh, tell me how they have any kind of chance and how Vontaze Perfect obviously won't be out there uh, against an Atlanta offense that, that scored 37 at home and lost. Well, the thing is, Atlanta's defense is very bad right now, and they're giving up about 12 targets a game to the running back. So play Giovanni Bernard in your fantasy league if, if Mixon's out again. If Mixon's in, man, that would be a huge He's not going to be in. I just broke the news, Joe. I'm, I don't believe you. Jason Lock and Fora says there's a chance. No, I, I'm just saying running backs play them. I think that's <laughs> where the offense is going to have to flow. I think that's where the offense is going to have to build from if you don't have A.J. Green. I think Tyler Eifert's close. Right, I mean, this was his his ramping up into week three. He had a really good game. I think all three of the tight ends, honestly, are playing pretty well, except for some of the blocking there by by Tyler Cross. Um, but you may have to function the offense differently, and it may be maybe you activate Auden Tate for the red zone situations. Maybe you try to scheme some stuff for John Ross to get the ball in his hands. You, you still try to get him deep. But you're definitely hamstrung if you're missing Green and Mixon. Obviously, those are your two best weapons on offense. So um, if that happens and the Falcons are able to, to do what they want with the Bengals' defense, which I like the matchup better for the Bengals versus the Falcons than I did versus the Panthers, at the same time, they're putting up numbers. If that happens, um, it's going to be a struggle for the Bengals to get 30 points again. Yeah, I, I agree. I, I think... Two things. Two things. I, I didn't t- Go ahead. 
I didn't say anything. Oh, it, it, it like echoed or something. I, I think two things. Auden Tate being active. Yeah, if A.J. Green's inactive, I, I think that'll certainly happen. And two, Tyler Boyd was that versatile weapon at Pitt where he threw the ball. I need a Tyler Boyd throw to John Ross deep downfield if A.J. Green's inactive. Bill Lazor's got to get creative. I, I think that would be fantastic, actually. I, honestly, like I, I think that they would really have to pull out every stop if they were being an Atlanta team like that, a shorthanded. And I get it, Atlanta's had some injuries, but no A.J. Green, no Joe Mixon, no Vontez Perfect. I don't want to say no chance. It's only Monday, but my God, it would be tough. But you got to do that um, wide receiver pass before the Falcons do it with Mohamed Sanu to Calvin Ridley. Oh, my goodness. Yeah, and that's the other thing is – you couldn't handle Devin Funches and Torrey Smith. Good luck with Julio and <laughs> Calvin Ridley and Mohamed Sanu. And oh my God, it just, it, it would be the first of 40 wins. I think they need AJ Green this week. I felt like it was going to be that yesterday or on Sunday. It was first of 40. And, uh, it, you know what? It's funny with the Panthers because they can, I feel like they can put 40 on a lot of teams, but there's so much variance in Cam Newton's game, right? He missed a lot of open throws. And I, it could have been much worse for the Bengals' defense. Yeah, I completely agree. What do you got coming up this week on The Athletic, Joe? I don't want to talk about John Ross. I don't want to write about him, but I feel like I'm being pushed into that direction. I've got a lot of plays. <laughs> being the first loss, there's a lot to nitpick. People don't want to hear about the mistakes when they win, so we've got a lot to maybe bring up and, and show. Maybe the, I, I'm, I'm thinking of focusing on the offensive line again and then maybe um, looking at the defense and looking at the run fits and why they're still struggling in the middle of the field. You're the man. Thanks for joining us every week, and uh, I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, James. If you have yet to subscribe to The Athletic, I got a deal for you. You go to theathletic.com. Again, theathletic.com slash locked on Bengals. You're going to get 40% off your subscription. So you can read Joe Goodberry when he writes about the offensive line, when he writes about John Ross, when he writes about Tyler Boyd absolutely shredding opposing defenses. And you can also get the, the good, the bad, and the ugly from the Bengals. It's it, what he does, it's really comprehensive. It's in word form and, and it's awesome. And, and it's not only him. Jay Morrison covers the Bengals. They got Jay Glazer national coverage there. They got your NBA fix if you're looking for NBA coverage, Major League Baseball, and so much more. The Athletic doesn't have any pop up ads, no autoplay videos. You don't have to worry about any of that. Just well thought out, in depth opinions about your favorite teams and those who cover your favorite sports. They got some of the best in the business. I mean, from a national scale, I mentioned Jay Glazer, Ken Rosenthal, um, and a ton of others. It's simple. All you got to do, go to theathletic.com slash locked on Bengals, and you're going to get 40% off. Again, theathletic.com slash locked on Bengals. I'm James Erpine. It's going to do it for me on this edition of the Locked on Bengals podcast. Just a reminder that we do this daily, every single day. Subscribe on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, Stitcher, the iHeartRadio app. Make sure you check out LockedOnBengals.com where every podcast is posted. Have a great day. Back at it tomorrow on Wednesday. It'll be Aaron Freeman of Locked On Falcons and myself. We're going to get together for a crossover episode previewing Sunday's matchup in Atlanta. A game I'll be at. So if you're going, let me know. Hit me up. Shoot me an email. Get a hold of me. You know how to reach me. Get a hold of me. Let me know so we can say hi, meet up, and... Uh, hopefully see uh, a Bengals victory. Until next time, I'm James Erpine. Thanks for listening today on the Locked On Bengals podcast. Hey, Prime members. You can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. 
Is your team eliminated from the playoffs and in need of reinforcements? Maybe it's time for a rebuild, or maybe they're just a player or two away from taking home the Lombardi Trophy. Either way, join Keith Sanchez and Damian Parson for Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast. They'll tell you which college football stars your team will be taking in the 2024 NFL Draft. Check out Mock Draft Monday on the Locked On NFL Draft Podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day.